You're listening to ReachMDXM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, your host, and with me today is Dr. John Howe. Dr. Howe is president and CEO of Project Hope and the previous distinguished chair in health policy at the University of Texas Health Science Center at San Antonio, Texas. Thank you, Dr. Howe, for joining us. Today, we're going to discuss what HOPE, an acronym for Health Opportunities for People Everywhere, has come to mean the world over. In 1958, a naval medical officer, William Walsh, requested and received the ship from Dwight Eisenhower. This ship was converted to the first non-military hospital ship, the USS HOPE. Could you tell me what the mission of that ship was then and what it has come to mean for the Project HOPE? Delighted to respond. It was an era not unlike today. The year was 1958. Lots of people didn't understand America. Lots of people didn't like America. That prompted Dr. Walsh to go to President Eisenhower and ask for the ship that you just mentioned. That ship plied the waters of the world, one country, one year at a time, for 11 voyages. It became an icon of America's humanity. Those of us that grew up in that era remember the weekly reader, the front cover showing the SS Hope. Indeed, it set the stage for what Project Hope is today. That's very interesting. And what is the Project Hope today? The Project Hope today is changed in many ways, but unchanged in others. What hasn't changed over the years is our mission of health education and humanitarian aid. And for a number of years, we're without a ship because the original SS Hope, which was a converted World War II hospital ship, ran out of spare parts. It was returned to the Navy in the mid-'70s that point, we became land-based. Tonight, we are uh, in 36 countries around the world on five continents. But as we'll uh, discuss later, we're back on the ship, Navy ships, three of them this year. Our focus, as I mentioned, is health education, humanitarian aid. But the subsets are sex-fold. Number one, infectious disease, but not all infectious disease, just TB and HIV AIDS. Second of all, women's and children's health. Third, health professions education. Fourth, health facilities. Fifth, humanitarian aid. And sixth, we publish the nation's leading health policy journal, the Health Affairs Journal. But a way to look at this is to think of a circle. And at the top of the circle is the infectious disease. And I would take you to Wuhan, China. And Professor Gui, who's our partner in HIV AIDS training, who's on the front cover of Time magazine not long ago, is one of the 50 most influential physicians in the world. Why? Because it was he that discovered a cause for HIV AIDS in China, which is related to improper use of uh, blood products. He's our partner in Hubei province. Over the past three years, we've trained between six and 7,000 health professionals, and we've seen the mortality from AIDS go from 49% to 8.8%, a dramatic drop. It's an example of our work with HIV AIDS. Next, I would take you to cogent Tajikistan, 14-hour flight from the Washington area. I'll tell you the story of a little boy who was seven years old who I met at the TB hospital. He was going home after three months. He had three months of treatment, and uh, he had converted, so he was no longer infectious, so he could go home. He looked up to me he said with the big brown eyes, he said, Spasiva, Spasiva. At the time, I didn't know, but I do know now, that's Russian for thank you. An example of our uh, work in uh, providing TB training and, and medications. 
then go around the circle and come to women's and children's health. And I would take you to uh, Makubo, Mozambique. Makubo is halfway between Kalalami on the coast and Melange right against the uh, uh, Malawi border. And Makubo I visited is one of the 50,000 women that participate in our micro-lending programs. We call them village health banks, micro-lending programs where we provide women with $75 to $100, but only for 90 days. They have to return it after 90 days. During that time, two things would have happened. Number one, if they'd start a small business, sewing, cooking, and filling nuts or other perishables. And at the end of that 90 days, they would have become economically self-sufficient. At the same time, every two weeks, we bring them back with their children and teach them about health practices for them and for their children. And we publish in the Journal of American Medical Association the results. The women that participate in our micro-lending program, so-called village health banks, their children's health indicators go up dramatically. Their children are healthier. And then go around the curve to health education. I mentioned the experience in uh, Ubei, China, training doctors in the use of antiretroviral medicines. But I would take you to the capital of Beijing and, and have you join us in 1998 when the then president, Chang Zemin, said we have an epidemic in China, an epidemic of diabetes. Only 30% know they have the disease before they develop an eye or kidney complication. We must do something about it. And we fast forward to uh, last spring. As of last spring, we had trained over 200,000 Chinese in all 31 provinces, and 37,000 of them are doctors and nurses in the recognition and treatment of diabetes, an example of our health professionals training. Then you come around the curve and start up to the other side of the curve, and you come to health facilities. And it was when Poland was communist, Mr. Reagan asked us to help create a children's hospital in the then Pope's hometown of Krakow. And we did, and today it's a thriving 578-bed children's hospital serving Poland and nearby countries. And it was in the 1990s that Zhang Zemin, when he was mayor of China, came to us and said, we have blue babies born in China and no place to get their heart fixed. So we partnered with him, partnered with the city of Shanghai, He created a children's hospital in the Pudong district. It opened in 1998. Mrs. Clinton was there for the ribbon cutting. And since then, it's been very productive. We were just there to open a new seven-story surgical tower last spring. Why? Because the hospital is now performing over 2,000 open-heart surgeries a year. To put that in perspective, one of the largest programs here in the U.S. is in Houston. It's 700. And uh, more, more recently, we were asked by the First Lady and Dr. Rice to create a children's hospital for kid, uh, young people with cancer. It's 70% complete in Basra, Iraq. And we're training the nurses and the doctors through a partnership with the Sultan of Oman, who's providing financial support and two teaching hospitals in Muscat so that we can bring the young nurses out for training. The doctors, we train with the help of St. Jude in Memphis and in our training center in Egypt as well. Let me just go farther up the curve to humanitarian aid, and later on we'll talk about our partnership with the Navy, but for the moment I'll just speak of the medicines and medical supplies that we take around the world every day. This past year we took over $130 million of medicines and medical supplies to people in need on all five continents. And then coming back up to the top, we come to the Health Affairs Journal. And here in Washington, the Health Affairs Journal is described by the Washington Post to be the Bible 
of Health Policy. And we had a celebration of its 25 years of publication just last week at the Reagan Building in downtown Washington. 600 leaders in health policy came and to be part of that conference, that celebration. So in the past just few minutes, I've shared with you a glimpse of Project Hope today in the form of this circle, which has taken you from infectious disease to maternal and child health to health professions education to health facilities to humanitarian aid and to the health policy journal, the health affairs journal. And when you sum it all up, in our nearly 50 years, because next year is our 50th anniversary, 2008, in our nearly 50 years, we've trained over 2 million physicians and nurses and healthcare workers around the world and taken nearly $2 billion worth of medicines and medical supplies to far-reached places around the world. So indeed, the Project Hope that began with the hospital ship in 19. 19- 58 is alive and well today, nearly 50 years later. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, and I've been speaking with Dr. John Howe, and we've been discussing Project HOPE. Although I'd like to ask you individual questions about each of the various projects which really have taken us around the map, the one thing that leaps out at me as I talk to you today is the partnerships that you've been able to build with so many different and diverse cultures. What has been the success of this particular idea? Yeah, without question, Project Hope has a a very special distinction of being a grand facilitator. By that, I mean bringing academia, industry, government, private sector together to make things that would happen that wouldn't happen if they were pursued individually. And a good indicator of that is our our funding, 90%, full 90%, of our support comes from the private sector. Less than 10% comes from government. And over 92% of our funding throughout the world to those locations, to field, not to administration, not to fundraising. 92%, which is a tremendous uh, record of accomplishment over the years. And that speaks to the esteem with which uh, we are held. We're seen as a bridge between the community and the hospital while as I mentioned, we have public health programs uh, training people in the field and the recognition of uh, diabetes. On the other hand, we are creating hospitals as well. And all of this is possible, as you mentioned, to partnerships, partnerships between Lilly, for example, is a great supporter of our diabetes education program. BD, Roach, Bay are also uh, significant participants in this education program that we've recently taken from China with its great success. India. Just on Monday, we announced the India Diabetes Education Program, and it was throughout the media in India and here in the United States. So what we have created over the time is a sense that with dealing with Project Hope, you're dealing with a trusted partner. It seems also that you have a partner in the United Nations. Not too long ago, the United Nations, for the first time that I know of, recognized that diabetes was a world epidemic, and they partnered with who else but Project Hope in bringing education and treatment to especially underdeveloped countries, China and India in particular. Why has it taken so long for the world to become aware that there is an epidemic of this particular disease? Fascinating question. As one who has been involved with Project Hope since 2001, right before my eyes we've seen a shift in an understanding of disease prevalence. And I would take you back to a publication of the New England Journal of Medicine two years ago. They looked at China. So the China of five and ten years ago 
uh, was a China whose leading causes of death were infection related. Not anymore. Two years ago, the le leading causes were all chronic disease, cardiovascular, uh, stroke. And so what we've seen is in, in the emerging and developing countries, perhaps as they their diet changes, perhaps as they get better uh, diagnostic methods. But what we've seen is a recognition of a shift right uh, before our eyes in the past decade from infectious disease solely as a priority to chronic disease is, is coming on fast. I want to thank Dr. John Howe, the CEO of Project Hope, for being with us today and discussing what Project Hope has done for the world, the great facilitator in bringing improving health care to the underprivileged and disadvantaged. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. For questions and comments, please send your emails to xm at reachmd.com or visit us at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.